0: The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well, good morning, IBC. My name is Sissy. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. How about our graduating seniors, huh? Can we give it up for them one more time? so grateful for them and for their families and thankful to God for all that he's doing in their lives. When I was a graduating senior, uh, my dad wanted to walk across the stage with me to get my diploma because he felt like he deserved some of the credit. (laughs) This is a true story. And I think he was right. And so uh, we're so grateful for parents and families, for everyone who's played such an important part in uh, the lives of our young people. We are in the middle of a series that we've entitled The Story of Life. Jesus came to give us eternal life through faith in him. But he also came to show us the best way to be human. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see the kind of life that God wants to form in us. And so we've talked about Jesus, the boundary breaker, and Jesus, the shalom maker. And then last week, we talked about Jesus, the people keeper. And so this morning, that brings us to Jesus, the rule follower. Now, I know many of you are like, that doesn't sound so great. And you're thinking, Sissy, I was here last week, and Jared said keeping people is more important than keeping religious rules. So what gives? Well, first, I'm glad you are listening. But secondly, stay with me, because there's more to it than you actually think. I think there's at least four kinds of people when it comes to rules. Now, there's one group of you, and you are what I like to call the rule lovers. You love rules. You love order. You're the Enneagram Ones of the world. You know that there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things, and you want all of us to know the rules and to live by them. Now, who here is a rule lover? It's okay. Don't be shy. Okay. There's a second group of you, and you are what I like to call the rule haters. I might even call you the rule breakers. You're the non-conformists of the world. Rules aren't fun. They're limiting and life-sucking, and you want to do your own thing. Who's a rule breaker, rule hater? All right. This is probably not the time where you're nudging your neighbor. It's probably not going to work out for you, but I see some of you doing that. All right. Third group. You are not a rule lover. You are not a rule hater. You are a rule maker. You love rules as long as you get to make them. You're the Enneagram 8s of the world. You want to be in charge, and you don't mind rules as long as you get to decide what the rules are. I am a rule maker. I'm an Enneagram 8. Anybody with me? All right. Now, the fourth group is where the vast majority of us fall. And you fall somewhere between the rule lovers and the rule haters, and you are a rule follower. You know that rules are necessary so that relationships in society will function well. So you're willing to go along with them. But rule followers get a bad rep, don't they? I mean, nobody really wants to be known as a rule follower. That doesn't sound fun or exciting. But when we talk about Jesus being a rule follower, that's actually not the kind of rules we're talking about. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see what a fully human life looks like. And if we want to experience the life of Jesus, then we must live the way of Jesus. And Jesus lived with a set of habits and rhythms and practices. It's what some have called a rule of life. And that idea dates back to the third century. A rule is a set of practices or rhythms that help you order your life around the way of Jesus. It's an intentional commitment to live into what really matters so that you might center your life on Jesus. Now, the word rule comes from the Latin word regula, which means a straight piece of wood, like a ruler, but it can also refer to a trellis in a vineyard. A trellis provides a support structure to lift the vine off the ground so that it might have space to grow and mature. And a vine without a trellis will produce little or no fruit. In the same way, we need a rule as a kind of support structure to organize our life around abiding in Jesus. And a rule of life is a tool that helps us to do that. It's a life-giving structure that leads to freedom, vitality, and joy. Now, why is this so important? Why should we live with a set of practices or rhythms to order our lives in this way? John Ortberg is a pastor and author, and he recalls a conversation that he had with his mentor, Dallas Willard, when he was in a difficult season of ministry. And so he called up Willard and he said, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? And after what felt like a long silence, Willard responded and he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And Ortmark said, well, what else? What else should I do? And Willard said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life of our day. We live at a frenetic, frantic pace. There's never enough time. There's always something to do, somewhere to be, and everything needs to be done yesterday. And that kind of living does something to our souls. Jesus was a rule follower. He lived with a particular set of practices and rhythms that kept him from getting sucked into the busyness and the distraction, chaos, and hurry of life. When you look at the Gospels, you don't see Jesus in a hurry. He's got three short years to do a whole lot of work. He's teaching, he's healing, he's making disciples, he's saving all of humanity. And yet, he's never in a hurry. You don't see him checking his watch. He's never distracted or too busy or inattentive. He doesn't react in unkind ways because he's emotionally exhausted. We don't see Jesus live like that. And yet we live like that, don't we? We're weary and exhausted and burdened. We're tired and not just physically tired, but but the kind of tiredness that is deep down in our souls. This is not the life we imagined. It's certainly not the life we dreamed of. Because we all want to live rich, meaningful, purposeful lives. So how do we do it? This morning, I want to take a look at this problem of hurry. And then I want to look at the solution, which is to, like Jesus, be a role follower. To live with a set of practices or rhythms that help us order our lives so that we might experience deep joy, freedom, and satisfaction. Now, there's lots of practices we can look at, but this morning we're going to look at three. But first, the problem. Hurry is the cause of so many of our issues, ranging from irritation to chronic anxiety and exhaustion. Being busy isn't necessarily bad because there's a good kind of busy where your life is full and you're focused on what really matters. You live with purpose. The problem isn't that we're busy. The problem is that we're inundated with too much to do. And so that leads us to hurry. And hurry keeps us from the love, joy, and peace that is the outcome of a life lived under the rule and reign of God. And hurry keeps us from God himself because we're so distracted that we're unaware of his presence with us. Hurry is now considered an epidemic by doctors. It's a sickness, a disease that is damaging our emotional and spiritual health, and it is detrimental to our souls. Ruth Haley Barton shares 10 signs that you're moving too fast. See if if any of these resonate with you. Number one, irritability. You're easily annoyed or frustrated by others. Number two, hypersensitivity. Little things hurt your feelings. Three, restlessness. You find it hard to relax. You can't seem to turn off the internal noise in your mind. Four, compulsive overworking. You can't stop working even when you know you need to. And you work so much that you have nothing to give to your loved ones at the end of the day. Five, emotional numbness. You have a hard time showing empathy for the pain of others. Six, escapist behaviors. You're too tired to do anything life-giving for your soul, so you turn to distraction. Overeating, over-drinking, social media, or binge-watching Netflix. Seven, disconnected from identity and calling. You've lost sight of who you are, who God has called you to be, and you're always busy, but it never seems like you have enough time for what's really important. You live reactively and not proactively. Eight, not able to attend to human needs. You don't have time for basic things like exercise, sleep, and and healthy meals. Nine, hoarding energy. You avoid regular social interactions with people for fear that they will deplete you of the energy that you just don't have. Ten, slippage in spiritual practices. You're so busy that the first things to go are what is truly life-giving to your soul. Scripture, prayer, Sunday worship, and time in community. Any of those sound familiar? Me too. Hurry sickness is how we are all living. And these signs are our soul's way of telling us that we're not okay. John orper writes, hurry is not a, just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. Because hurry points to something deeper. Either we're avoiding something, an emotional wound, an insecurity, or a fear. Or we're chasing after something. The next accomplishment, the next experience, the the next thing we can buy. We're running away from something or we're chasing after something that we think will finally make us happy. And in the midst of that, we are damaging our souls. In one scene from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was teaching and a synagogue leader named Jairus comes to Jesus. And he falls at his feet and he pleads with him to save his dying daughter. And so Jesus goes with him. But on the way, he's met by this woman who has a chronic and debilitating disease that she's been struggling with for 12 years. And she touches his cloak because she thinks, if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately she was. And look at how Jesus responds to her. Mark 5, verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Totter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. This woman interrupts Jesus, and he's not annoyed with her. He's not short with her. He sees her, he values her, and he's present with her. And can you imagine how Jairus must have felt? "Come on, Jesus, we've got to go. We don't have time for her. My daughter is dying." And Jesus, in the end, heals his daughter as well. Jesus has a full itinerary, and yet he's never in a hurry. He's present with God and with others. And he shows us the best way to be human. So how does he do it? How does he live this kind of unhurried life? Well, Jesus was a rule follower. He lived with with a set of practices and rhythms that allowed him to live fully, to be present with God and with others. And so this morning, I'm going to look at three of these practices that we see in Jesus' life that we can also implement in our own lives now the first two go hand in hand so we'll talk about them together and there's silence and solitude and let's take a look at a scene right after jesus's baptism this is found at the end of matthew chapter 3 verse 16 as soon as jesus was baptized he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. This is the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. And before he does anything. The father declares his love and delight in his beloved son. And then Matthew goes on in in chapter 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry. And the tempter came to him the first thing jesus does after his baptism is he's led by the spirit into the wilderness that word for wilderness can be translated desert or a solitary lonely or quiet place and this is the launching point of jesus's ministry it's only after 40 days of fasting in the quiet place that he can then take on and fight the lies of the devil The wilderness is not a place of weakness. It's a place of strength. And throughout the scriptures, the gospels, we see Jesus get away from everyone and everything so that he can be alone with the father. In another scene, Jesus is healing people and he's just called his first disciples. And then Luke tells us this, Luke 5 verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Crowds are coming to hear him teach and to be healed. He should be capitalizing on his popularity. He should be creating a marketing campaign and and developing his brand. But that's not what we see him do. Instead, he withdraws to lonely places often. It was the regular practice of Jesus to get away from everyone and everything so that he could pray. Jesus... Practice silence and solitude. Silence and solitude is often said to be one of the most difficult of the practices of Jesus, and yet it's the most fundamental. But it's so contrary to how we live today. It's an intentional time to be quiet and alone with God, to bring our whole selves before Him. It's intentional space that we make so that we might receive the Father's love for us, so that we might be formed in the way of Jesus, formed in the way of self-giving love. And there's two aspects to silence. There's external noise, noise from people or the TV or podcasts or whatever else it is that's creating noise outside of you. And most, for most of us, external silence is a little easier to plan for or manage. Most of us can find a few minutes at least to get away from our family or our roommates or to turn the TV off and silence our phones. But internal silence, Is a bit more difficult. Internal silence. Is when we center our minds on God. When we bring God to the forefront of our minds. By silencing the noise inside of us. The hundreds of thoughts. That are running through your head. The replaying of conversations from the days. The things you should have said. Or the things that you regret saying. Maybe it's guilt or shame. From something you did. Our minds focus on what we're worried and anxious about. And internal silence happens when our hearts and our minds, our desires and our thoughts are reoriented toward God. So that we become less distracted by the things of this world and more responsive to the things of God and to God himself. That's silence. What about solitude? Solitude. By solitude, we don't mean isolation or loneliness because it's in this place that that we are actually most connected to God. Like any relationship, our relationship with God requires time to be alone together. What would happen in your marriage or in a close friendship if you didn't spend any time alone with that person? At best, you'd have a superficial relationship and at worst, you'd have a broken relationship. When we don't practice silence and solitude, we feel disconnected from God, others, and even from ourselves. And so we become anxious and we grow exhausted. And so to soothe ourselves, to numb out, we turn to the cultural cocktail of our choice. Food, drink, social media, binge watching TV. And this leads us prone to sin and spiritually and emotionally unhealthy. But when we practice silence and solitude, we find a quiet place to be with Jesus. We slow ourselves down and we reflect on our hearts and our lives. And we bring all of that before the God who loves us. And we hear the voice of our father say, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. With you, I am so very well pleased. Every morning, I try to spend a few minutes in silence and solitude with Jesus. Just reading a few verses of scripture, talking to God in prayer. And often for me, I'm not really aware of my feelings or the emotions that are churning around deep inside of me. So the first thing I have to do is I have to bring my whole self before God. So I'll spend a few minutes just journaling what's really going on inside of me. What I'm afraid of or worried about. If I feel disappointed or angry, I try to get to what's underneath that and bring that before God. I confess ways that I'm trying to cope with my fears fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, fear of not being loved. And then I I sit quietly before God and I listen to what is true. And in that moment, I come to a place of freedom where I stop believing the lies. And I remind myself of the truth. Fear and failure lose their grip over me. My achievements do not define me. As I sit with my father, I am reminded that I have nothing to earn, nothing to lose, nothing to prove. All is grace. And I reorient my heart back to God. So that I'm not looking to be loved and approved by others. But rather I am basking in the love and approval of my father. And then I try to pause throughout my day, just a few minutes after lunch and before I go to bed, just quieting my heart, bringing my whole self before God so that I would grow aware of his presence with me. And in silence and solitude, I find joy and freedom as I center my life on Jesus. One more practice to look at, and that's Sabbath Sabbath is a day to stop, rest, delight, and worship. And Jesus regularly practiced Sabbath. Last week, Jared taught us from the scene where one Sabbath, Jesus is walking through a cornfield with his disciples. And the religious leaders get really mad at them because of the way that they're celebrating and honoring the day. But they missed out on God's heart and intention behind this practice. And so Jesus tells them in Mark uh, Mark 2, 27 The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus was fighting the legalistic religious culture of his day. But in our day, we need to pay attention to the first part of that statement where Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. Because most of us don't practice Sabbath. Maybe we take a day off. Maybe we show up to church on Sunday, but Sabbath? And yet after six days of the work of creation, God rested on the seventh day. He built this into the rhythm of humanity. The Hebrew word for Sabbath is the word Shabbat. And it means to stop, but it can also be translated to delight. It's this idea of stopping and delighting in God and in our lives. Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, shares four countercultural practices to Sabbath. First, we stop. We embrace our limits and we stop working. Because God is in control and the world will be okay. It won't fall apart just because we're not working. We trust that God will take care of us if we stop. And then we rest. We engage in activities that replenish us. That could be anything from a nap to a workout or a long walk. Part of my Sabbath is usually a workout or a long walk. And then we delight. We slow down and we pay attention to the good gifts that God has given us and the people in our lives. We play, whether that's through games or sports or hobbies that we love. We do things that delight us and remind us of the goodness of God in our lives. For me, Sabbath always means good food with good friends. Because that brings me delight. We stop, we rest, we delight And we worship by spending time with Jesus in scripture and prayer. Extended time with Jesus is certainly part of my Sabbath. But think more broadly than that. What are things or activities that cause gratitude and love for God to rise up in your heart? Do those things. You might worship by gardening or by playing the guitar or or painting a picture in a variety of ways. Dan Allender writes this, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experiences God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it's the best day of the week. It's the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Listen to this, few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. The one day you Sabbath will change how you live all the other days. Sabbath leads us to live out of a spirit of restfulness rather than a spirit of restlessness. And when we Sabbath, we work from our rest. We don't work for our rest. Ultimately, Sabbath is about surrender and trust. And it's a practice that I'm trying to implement in my life. And it hasn't been easy, but I know I need it. And I've been experimenting with how Sabbath might work for me. but but Because each one of us has different personalities. We're all in different seasons of life. And so delight and rest will look different for us. But the hardest part for me is just to stop and while it's true i'm in a heavy season of ministry and i've got a lot of personal commitments that's not really the reason i don't want to stop a while back uh, i brought this to the lord and just was processing this with him and here's what i wrote in my journal Sabbath is the intentional discipline to stop believing the lies that I have to be in control and that I am what I do and instead living into the reality that I am loved and accepted by God and increasingly surrendering control of my life to him. I don't stop because I believe the lies that I have to be in control and I am what I do. It's been said that Sabbath is resistance. And every week when I set aside a day to stop, rest, delight, and worship, I am resisting the lies of the enemy and I am resting in the love of my Father. Do you see the beauty of Sabbath? Hurry is what's underneath our irritation, chronic anxiety and exhaustion and so many other things. It disconnects us from God, from others, and even from ourselves. And it is damaging our souls. And it's not at all how we were meant to live. Jesus calls us to be role followers, to live with a particular set of rhythms and practices. To help us order our lives so that we might experience deep joy, freedom, and peace. It's an intentional commitment to live into what truly matters centering our lives on jesus so how are you doing in practicing silence and solitude what are ways even this week you can find a quiet place to be with jesus read a few verses of scripture talk to god in prayer and then just sit quietly before the father and receive his love for you maybe you want to join us as we read through the new testament together Every weekday, we read a chapter, and then you can jump on Facebook or or podcast and listen to one of our staff members reflect on that passage. What are ways you can practice Sabbath, setting aside a day to stop, rest, delight, and worship? And again, for all of us, this is going to look different, so it'll take time and experimenting to figure out what works for you and for your family. These practices require intentionality and preparation. So start small where you're at. If you've never spent time in silence and solitude, don't shoot for an hour. But maybe you could pause for five minutes first thing in the morning before you pick up your phone. Consider your season of life. If, if you've got young kids or you're caring for aging parents, this is going to look different for you. This isn't about adding another thing to your already full plate. It's actually about taking some things off. It's, it's about saying no to good things so that you can say yes to better things. To, to me, for me, it means turning the TV off 30 minutes earlier every night so I can spend time with Jesus. It's simplifying our lives to focus on what really matters, making space for Jesus. And then give yourself grace. Grace. Jesus will not love you more because you practice these rhythms, but you will find that you are more connected and more aware of Jesus. And that will lead to increasing trust and love of Jesus. Three of the most impactful practices for me are silence, solitude, and Sabbath. They've helped me be more connected to God, to others, and to myself. And I don't have them down perfectly But I want to order my life around these practices. So that I become the person that God has always intended me to be. Because if you want to experience the life of Jesus. You must live the way of Jesus. Hear the invitation of Jesus. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Friends, isn't that what we all long for? Jesus doesn't just show us the best way to be human. He invites you to keep company with him, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace so that you might live freely and lightly. There's a better way to live. There's the way of Jesus. Before we come to partake of communion together, I want to just give us a few moments to reflect upon our hearts and our lives to see if there's anything we need to bring before the Lord, anything we need to confess. And so let's just take a moment to pause and bring our whole selves before the Father. father we confess that we are often exhausted weary and burdened so help us to slow down our lives to keep company with you learn the unforced rhythms of grace help us to practice silence and solitude sabbath so that we might live freely and lightly if there's anyone here this morning watching online that has never put their trust in jesus may they hear and accept his invitation to come to him to find their rest in him by placing their trust in him and may each one of us experience the deep joy freedom and satisfaction that comes from an abiding and intimate relationship with jesus we ask this in the name of jesus amen Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.